Uh, church, you've heard this before. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And of course, we all know that that's not true, right? Like, I don't have to spend time telling you about that. Like, we're smart. Okay, we understand what's going on. In fact, I would wager that many, if not most, if not all of us in this room have wounds that we have carried with us for a long time that have nothing to do with sticks or stones and have everything to do with words, right? Like I, I would just like throw that out there. Words that uh, were spoken to us or words that were spoken over us. And I'm here to tell you that I, me, Alex, carries baggage from two primary sources. My baggage comes from two primary sources. The first, number one source, is my own sin, right? My own shortcomings, the things that I carry, the mistakes that I make, and not only the mistakes that I make, but sometimes, indeed, the rebellion that I engage in. My baggage comes from that source, and then my baggage comes from another primary source, which is words that were either spoken over me or words that I spoke over myself, right? The words that we say to others matter. The words that we say about others matter. The words that we say to ourselves about others matter. And the words that we say to ourselves about ourselves matter. Right. In fact, contrary to the popular statement that we mentioned at the outset, the biblical worldview tells us that words are perhaps the most powerful tool that are given to human beings. Right? Like it's no accident that one of the names of Jesus is the Word of God. Right? It's no accident that the Apostle says, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is, by the way, the word about Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God's salvation lies in the speaking of and hearing of words. Right? So, uh, I'll rewind us to a story in the Old Testament. There's this prophet. He was an evil prophet. His name was Balaam. And there was a king of the Moabites whose name was Balak. Now, Balak did not like the Israelites as they were wandering through the desert very much. And Balak, what he did is he hired this evil prophet, Balaam, to curse the Israelites. Now, Balak, he, you know what he could have done? He could have sent out armies against Israel. But he knew that there was a better tactic that he could pursue. He, said, he thought a tactic would be to have a curse or words spoken over Israel, against Israel. Now, for what it's worth, God would not let Balaam speak those words. In fact, every time that Balaam opened his mouth to speak a curse against Israel, God made it so that he could not but speak a blessing over Israel. Because God is more powerful than what we intend to do with our words. But recognize what Balak knows or knew at that point. That words can carry significant spiritual weight. Right? Words have the ability to permeate 
the membrane between this realm and the spiritual realm and to activate realities in the spiritual realm to make them affect what we see and hear and feel in this realm. Right? That's what words can do. Now, this is, this is really, 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 like I can't over express the extent to which this is nearly impossible for us to grasp because we do not have this worldview in our heads. We are raised in a very Western worldview, and in our minds, words are just kind of static things that everybody with a mind is able to interact with and pick apart and pull what's important to them and leave out what's not important to them, right? Because this is how we think. But that is not the biblical worldview of what words do. The biblical worldview tells us that words carry spiritual weight. Every person in Bible times knew this about words. They knew that words had the power to carry spiritual weight. So we are in the middle of a series called Demonic Schemes. We're actually in week five of this series. I told you it was going to be a seven-week series. It's actually going to be an eight-week series. Uh, so, uh, so that's exciting, but uh, this series is built to give us the grounding to discern the work of the forces of evil, right? So that we can expose the unfruitful works of darkness, so that we can know how we ought to be praying, and I like to remind us of this every week as we're going through this series. If you're looking to uh, activate some power against the forces of evil, why don't you come out and join us at our prayer meeting? Our next, week, our next one is on February 21st, so I'd, I invite you to do that, and then uh, the other reason that we're going through this series is so that we can know the kinds of solutions that we ought to be seeking in a world where there are spiritual forces that are active. So we're in James 3, and uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, he is writing to specifically uh, Jewish Christians all around the Roman Empire, and, uh, and he's writing with an explicit concern about the character of the Christians in that day. And it's interesting, if you read James, it's no surprise that he was brothers with Jesus. James writes like Jesus speaks. Like when Jesus teaches, you will notice remarkable similarity between the way that James writes and the way that Jesus teaches. And so he is talking to people about the kind of character that ought to exist in people who say they believe what they do about Jesus. Right, like if you're going to say that you believe these things, this is the kind of character that ought to be shaping your life. He uh, is witnessing realities in the church that are concerning to him, and all of the things that he is addressing fall into this broad category of what he calls wisdom. Right, so his everything that he's chasing after in his uh, letter to these churches, it is about wisdom. And this is what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And God is ready to give richly in this particular gift. And in James's mind, wisdom finds its ultimate outworking in Christ-formed character. Like that's what wisdom is aiming to do inside of any person who is form us more and more into the image of Christ. So some examples of the things that James talks about. He says, uh, when you play favorites with people, when you neglect the widows and the orphans, the needy among you, when you expect higher regard from others because of your wealth, and when you boast and take comfort in your riches, he's saying you're rejecting 
the wisdom that God is seeking to extend to you. And in chapter 3, he is about to address for us another category of wisdom, and that's where we find ourselves at this morning. Verse 1 of James chapter 3, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He starts here, but I want you to know this is just a, a warning. Right, This warning that he has to give is actually not his main point. This is a sidebar issue. It's an implication of his main point. It's a warning to people who are going to be expected to lead with their words. Right? And those of us who use words to lead, especially in the church, we ought to take this warning particularly seriously. But it's not just this, this main point is not just for us. This is for everybody who opens their mouth to speak words. Right? And the main point is what he starts to say next in verse 2. He says this, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. His point is like the most uncontrollable part of us the most undisciplined part of us, the part of us that he is saying needs the most restraint, needs the most attention, needs the most vigilance, that part of us is what we say. If we can get a handle on what we say, we can get a handle on just about anything in our lives, anything that we would struggle with. Verse four, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Remember last week we talked about wind? We talked about the wind beneath our wings, the, the wind in our sails, right? We talked about uh, the fact that we are pneumatic beings, right? We function on this spiritual wind. And James says, you know what? The ship, it won't move without the wind. But the wind doesn't ultimately tell the ship where to go, right? The, the, the direction of the ship, where the ship ends up, it gets there because... The rudder is telling it where to go. So too, he's saying, our words play an oversized role in the effect of our lives, the impact of our lives on the world around us. So he finishes up verse 5 and says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. See, James... It's amazing. He is just like rich with imagery to help us understand this point. It's like illustration after illustration after illustration to help us grasp the power of this tool that God has given us. So the imagery that he gives us, it says a fire, but I, he intends us to think of it more like a spark, right? He, he, he says, imagine a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. Like how many people remember Smokey the Bear? Yeah. And what did Smokey the Bear say? That's right, only you can prevent forest fires. That's what Smokey the Bear said. Smokey told us, hey, watch out for those sparks, right? Sparks in a dry forest are a very dangerous thing. 
right? He's saying, hey, kids, don't throw that cigarette butt on those dry leaves, right? He says, hey, hey uh, make sure you put out the campfire before you go to sleep, right? Make sure, like, make sure that your fire that you start, that it's separated, you know, far enough from any kindling and it's not going to escape from the place where that fire is contained. Make sure the ground around your fire is clear. The point is, hey, when you start the fire, you need to be really vigilant. Right? You need to pay special attention. When that fire starts burning, you need to be aware of the effect that it could have. So verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 8, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So here, James points us to the spiritual power behind the untamed tongue. Right Earlier in the book, he said uh, wisdom. Wisdom comes down from above, right? From where the Father is. But God is giving wisdom. Every good gift, every perfect gift is coming down to us from above, from the Father of lights. He has gifts to give us, but he's saying, hey, the untamed tongue, the Father doesn't produce that. That's not something that he gives. And what he does here, he says, it's set on fire by hell. What he's doing, he's, he's making reference to a literal place called Gehenna. It's a physical place outside of Jerusalem, and it was a perpetually burning trash pit, always on fire. They threw the trash from the city, uh, and you know, the leftovers from the sacrifices, all this stuff gets thrown out into Gehenna, and it is burning all the time. And Jesus used Gehenna as a picture to represent the place of final eternal judgment. Specifically, Gehenna, Jesus says, is the place that God prepared for Satan and those who follow him. The implication is that the spiritual forces of darkness who have already been assigned their sentence of torment and destruction, they are trying to use your tongue to carry out as much destruction as they can before they go where God is sending them. Or we could say it like this, and this is really the main point that we're working with this morning. Demons want to use the spiritual power of your words to burn things. That's, I mean, that would just make their day. It would just please them so much if they could find opportunity to use your words to burn things down. Right, this should be for us, I think, an incredibly sobering thought because the things we speak do carry spiritual weight, right? Words can activate power and can cause damage or bring healing. So, uh, verse 9, James goes on. Verse 9, with it, that is our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, and it's no accident that he uses this word, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Now, I already told you that our uh, worldview, our framework has been 
kind of messed up by what we could call materialism or basically this understanding that things in the world, this, this physical world, like we can observe it and we can understand it and wrap our minds around it and pull it apart and uh, be reasonable about everything, right? And, and so we kind of separate the spiritual from the physical and say, hey, we love just working with the world of the physical and we're going to ignore the spiritual, but that is not how the biblical writers worked. They see these things as intricately overlapped with each other. And so we read that word cursed, and the way that we interpret it because of our framework is uh, we, we mean like, oh, like saying terrible things about another person. Like it's not good to say terrible things about another person. And yeah, it's, it's not good to say terrible things about another person. I would tell you that. But when James writes the word bless... And the word curse, he is not simply talking about the feelings that we have when we say the words and the level of meanness uh, within our words. He is talking about the spiritual power that we activate with our words. Right, Just like Balak asked Balaam, to invite spiritual power with his words against the Israelites. James is saying, when our untamed tongues are set on fire by hell, we participate in the activating of spiritual powers. And that's what James understood. right? It's what his readers understood. When he wrote these things, they didn't have a question about what he meant. They knew he was saying, your words will activate demonic power. So this means at least two things. This means that, number one, a word spoken in bitterness is not just a word spoken in bitterness. The other thing that this means, and this is the benefit, church, a word spoken in grace is not just a word spoken in grace. We need to be very aware of that. If, our, if we have a Holy Spirit inside of us, our words do not just have the power to do damage. Our words, praise the Lord, have the power to bring healing and restoration too. So this is why so many of the, wor- the wounds that we carry from our childhood, uh, from words either spoken over us or words spoken to us, that, that they're still with us, that we still carry these uh, wounds with us. Because the words, when they were spoken, you know what they started to do? They started to uh, create a wound. And then, uh, you know, the wound might have gone deep enough to where uh, maybe it creates a, a little bit of a, a deeper wound, but then, uh, you know, three years go by and it scabs over, but, you know, some other words come to us from a different source along the same lines of the previous words, and then you know what it do? It just kind of rips that scab open, and it digs a little bit deeper, and more words come along in the same, along the same line, and they, they really make that spot in our souls very tender. That's what these words keep doing. They keep scraping, and they expose this part of our souls that is assaulted by the words. They expose it to further and further assault. But words, they don't just wound. That's just like one thing that they can do. Words can stir up unholy rebellion, Words can open doors that innocent minds had previously thought were shut. Words, even words spoken in private, can activate spiritual power to bring destruction. So I recently, um, just kind of to use this as an illustration, I recently had an opportunity to work with um, some people who, uh, there was 
I've never had this much clarity in my life that what people were experiencing was like obvious spiritual oppression. Like never had this much uh, clarity. And I knew it and they knew it, right? And so we were kind of working together and I spent some time listening, trying to diagnose what was happening. And, uh, and I was given the opportunity to notice the gravity of the words that they were speaking, right? That they, uh, both of them had been speaking over themselves, the words that they spoke to each other. And don't worry, it's nobody in this church, so you don't have to worry if I'm like talking about somebody in our church here. Um, the reality is, when you, when you understood the gravity of the words, it became evident that they were speaking curses over themselves and over each other. Right, and in the middle of that process, so I, you know, I was in the middle, I was, you know, listening and trying to understand and praying, and so uh, this does not happen to me often, but the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, and with clarity, it was like he was yelling, James 3, James 3. Just open it up, right? And so I, I in the like 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever, I sit there, I pull out my phone, I, I look up James 3, and, and I'm reading. And so did you know that James's primary emphasis on the power of demons, like he has five chapters, right? He's, he's writing about all sorts of things. But when he is talking about the power of demons... He exclusively references that power in relation to one thing, and that is your words. Right? When he talks about the power of demons, he talks about it being expressed through the power of your words. Right, like the Lord, so, so I, I'm walking through this passage, I'm reading about the destructive nature of our words and how demons come behind that sometimes and will reinforce it. And so the Lord used this passage to kind of open my eyes to... Sure, like what was happening in the lives of the people that I was working with. But I want you to know that was not the Lord's main point for me. When I opened James 3 and recognized the gravity of the spiritual power that their words were having, the main lesson was for me. Right? He opened my eyes to how cavalier I had been with my own words. Now, certainly, I'm not out there like I'm your pastor. I want you to know I'm not out there calling people abusive names and using abusive language, right? Like, that's not what's going on. But do you know what I do a lot? I vent. I vent. Right? And whether it's uh, my own self-talk or uh, words that I uh, permit myself to use with a trusted friend or confidant, I will permit myself to employ words that carry the weight of my immature judgment of others. Right, that devalue the significance of the image of God in a person. Right, that flow out of the unfounded assumptions that I have about other people. That must be true based on my own expertise, right? That set me in the seat of pride as one who judges with clarity. Right, so the Lord's point to me was not about the people that I was working with. The Lord's point to me was something along these lines. He said, Alex, every time you let words like these leave your lips, you give the enemy ammunition. Every time. I don't care if you're like in the privacy of your home. 
I don't care if you're like out in front of somebody. It doesn't matter where you, like when you open your mouth and let your, loosen the chains off of your heart to become unrestrained so that your mouth would speak the darkest things that you assume about others, you put ammunition into the enemy's hands. Every time you let words like these leave your lips, you give the enemy ammunition. So let me give you a couple of practical examples of how this can play out because I've witnessed it in some other places. So I was in a church where there were words spoken in one board meeting, one church board meeting that established in that church a spiritual stronghold that lasted over a decade. Right? Even... Get this, even after the people who exchanged the words with each other both left the church, the spiritual stronghold remained in that church because of the words that were spoken in that board meeting. Words are powerful. Rifts, you see, uh, you see how a rift can start and then how outward from that rift ripple more and more rifts and more and more division. So what was it like the practical result of this? Well, it was conflict distrust among the leaders and members of the church and a stagnant ministry impact in that church for years. Right, I, uh, another example, I've witnessed people in my life learn messages from their childhood that caused them to adopt a self-description of something like the word worthless. Right, and as they adopt that self-description and they hear it from others or they get it from messages that are played to them in the action from others, you know what they do as they see it, they begin to adopt it into their own language. And then they begin to speak it over themselves. And I'm not just talking about one person, I'm talking about multiple people in my life who speak this word over themselves. And as they speak that curse, it led them into deeper levels of self-harm, and suicidal ideation. Now, I've talked about this before, but I want to let you know and make it clear, when you're dealing with self-harm and suicidal ideation, you are not just dealing with the human will at that point. There are dark forces engaged in that process. And when we speak the word of worthless over ourselves, it's just another invitation to spiritual forces to come invade and drive us deeper into this perspective we're already holding. Right, so that's just two examples. And this is not even to speak of the relational damage that can be caused by our words. Right, like, you know, Satan hates marriages. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to use your words as often as he can against each other in order to employ spiritual forces to break up your marriage. Okay, so that's the damage of words. That We've talked very clearly about the damage of words. But James here, he, uh, he not only wants to warn us about the, the, the potential spiritual damage that can be caused, he has a deeper point to make. Right? He's not done revealing things about the nature of our words. So in verse 11, he goes on. And he says here, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right, James' point here is to say that there's something wrong, not simply with the words, but there's something wrong with the source of the words. 
right? If you're displaying a pattern of speech that carries the weight of your judgment against other people or that doesn't go to them in love to address your concerns or that complains or mocks or derides them or that engages in gossip about them, those things do not come from the Holy Spirit, right? There's no fresh water in that situation. Those things are not the wisdom that comes from above. This is his point. Verse 13. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? He's saying, you want to talk about wisdom? Let's talk about wisdom. Right? Wisdom is in this. By a person's good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Right? This is James's point. Like he starts, he starts the book like detailing like ethical concerns, right, and how we ought to conduct ourselves in Christ's form character. One of the first things he says is, "Let my brothers." He's begging them, "My brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger." James is revisiting this concept here, and he, he's reinforcing it to say that the wisdom from above finds its source here in the meekness, in the humility that we develop as we walk with Christ. It results in this if there are words to be spoken and this is where they speak from. They speak out of the meekness of wisdom. He's, he's essentially saying, hey, this is the kind of pond that yields fresh water. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So he's saying, hey, that's the, that's the fresh water. Let's talk about the salt water and what it can produce. So, so he gives a couple of examples, right? He gives bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I want you to know James's goal here is not to be comprehensive. These are not the only things that can make up a salt pond in your heart, right? And, and for what it's worth, I mean, this is just James's teaching style. It was Jesus's teaching style. He is not in the habit of trying to describe every possible situation that could create harmful words. He teaches by giving us examples. And then he intends for us to grasp the larger point that he's making from the examples that he gives us. And so he gives us two examples. Two examples of what could be at the root of our untamed words. He says, it could be bitter jealousy. It could be selfish ambition. Right? But it could be many others. It could be fear. It could be pursuit of pleasure. It could be pride. It could be unforgiveness. It could be rage. Right? His point is to say that the words coming out invite us to examine what's going on within. Right? What comes out of us is an invitation to us to examine what's going on within. Now, I, wanna, I just want to tell you, sometimes we will read this passage and we will think that James is like trying to make a distinction between people who are saved and people who aren't saved. And that's not his point, at least with this particular thing. He's trying to talk to us 
about people who, who say they believe in Jesus. And, and he's saying that all of us who say we believe in Jesus at times will speak things that come from a broken place inside of us. Right? There's a place that either hasn't been healed or a place in us that is easily given over to spiritual stronghold. Right? Or a place in us that is uh, simply working out of our own flesh. And he's saying when we speak words like this, it's an invitation into self-examination. When we hear ourselves say something and go, oh my goodness, I sh- that, that's weird that I said that. That should not be for a Christian, for a person claiming to follow Christ. When we get that little trigger that says, okay, that's an invitation for us to say, okay, go and examine what's going on here. What's at the root of this? What's lying underneath this. The words coming out invite us to examine what's going on within. So verse 14. So he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then he tells them this, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now this phrase is a little confusing, but essentially what he's saying is he's saying this, don't continue on in your talking as if there's nothing wrong with you. Right? Don't think that you should avoid entering into self-examination. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If curses are being spoken, those curses have a source. Don't pretend like there's nothing to deal with. He's like, if you're going to go on and pretend like everything's okay and that there's nothing to deal with, you are being false to the reality that's going on inside of you. You're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't boast and be false to the truth, right? If you do, if you ignore it, if you choose to think that it's no big deal, if you continue, continue on in this process of letting your tongue go unrestrained, then verse 15 and 16 says, this is what's going on. He's saying, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James says that to continue on in use of an untamed tongue without examining what's going on inside of us to set the world on fire, right? To to call into question our motives, to humble ourselves, to be examining our speech and the nature of our hearts. He's he's like, if we're not willing to engage in that process and we're going to keep running along with our speech, there's a deeper power at work. This is not wisdom that comes from the bow. He says it's earthly and unspiritual. Both of those words relate not just to like what's broadly in the world, but they, they pull up the imagery of reaching down into the earth to grab what's in the ground. Right? The imagery, like you're you're grasping onto dirt when you think that you have life. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so when we do this. When we refuse to examine, we participate in work that demons want to do. And remember, we said at the outset, demons want to use the spiritual power of your words to burn things down. Okay, that was heavy. I was like, gosh, we're running a long way deep into this, right? And I was like, James, man, like, don't blame me. 
guys. I just want to let you know. It's James. He just keeps going. He just keeps digging into it. But then he lets up. He lets up on the conviction gas pedal for a little bit here. And he says to us, there is a real solution. Right there, there is something different that can be spoken. There's a different attitude that we can carry with us. There's something different that can shape the way that we use our words. In verse 17, the wisdom from above is first, pure, then peaceable, right? It's gentle, meaning it recognizes that if I do have something to say, if I have something to correct, if I do have a concern, well, goodness, I'm going to make sure that I engage that with a level of gentleness, that, that when my emotions get high because somebody's coming at me with something, that I'm going to strive with every fiber of my being to remain open to reason about what's happening in this situation. That I'm going to, with every person, no matter how they regard me, I am going to seek to be full of mercy towards them and good fruits impartial and sincere, right? And, and he's saying as the wisdom from above, which I think, you know, to a certain degree, when he speaks of the wisdom of above, James, I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit that God sends down from above. As the wisdom from above takes root in us and does work to change us from the inside out, then verse 18 a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so what? So what? Uh, I have several for us this morning. I had uh, four of them, so I had to take one of them and move them to communion. So, all right. So, uh, number one. Uh, number one. Uh, we will still need to have hard conversations. The, the warnings against the tongue is not oh, uh, James telling us, never say anything hard to each other, brothers and sisters. That's not his point. We will still need to have hard conversations, but his point is that we do so with vigilance. We do so looking for the spark that could break out and cause the fire. So, uh, so there are times where we will have to address concerns with people. And, and when we do that, we go into it bathed in prayer, at least as much as we can. We recognize that as we do that, you know what we're doing? We're walking into spiritually contested territory. Right? When we walk into opportunities where we're going to have to speak hard words, we are walking into spiritually contested territory. And so when we do it, we do, we do the hard work of working to remove the log from our own eye. Right before we address the speck in our brother's eye. We work to make sure that we speak in truth in a genuinely grounded love for the other person. We speak the truth in love, right? So please note too that also I talked about venting earlier. I'm not saying that it's never okay to vent, right? It is appropriate to speak a word in private about your frustrations, but my point to you is that when you open your mouth to vent, 
that you keep a very close watch on the words that you let escape from your lips. Right? You keep a close eye on what's going on in your heart and you need to resist the impulses of your heart to speak harsher things than uh, what it wants to speak. You need to resist that so that you can speak true things, right? Feel the freedom to vent, but goodness, watch what your heart is trying to do in the process. Keep a close eye on the patterns and the potential strongholds that you could build when you speak those words out into the ether. Okay, good. So that's number one. Number two, contrary to what you might think about a sermon like this, the solution is not positive vibes. It's humble submission, right? So you could hear something like this and say, okay, so I'm never going to speak anything harmful out in the world. And you could uh, interpret this. How many people remember the book, The Secret? Right, uh, maybe some of you do, maybe you don't. Uh, there's also this thing that's really popular. It's essentially the same idea uh, that is popular with 20 and 30-somethings called manifesting, which is just a really interesting word for other reasons, but uh, called manifesting. And the idea is that I speak the word, the good thing, the positive thing that I want out into the universe. And then as a result of my speaking, because I've said it, the world is just going to bring that back to me. It will return to me positive things for the positive vibes that I speak out into the world. That message is prominent in our culture. I want you to know that. And that is not the solution to the problem that James presents. That's not the solution at all. James's solution is humble submission. Right? Humility. That's, that's the option that he gives. He said, don't just like change your words. Don't just put your mind on positive things. No, this is what he says. Oh, wait, no, uh, first, manifesting, right? I was going to use this as an example, and I forgot to, but it's very important because it's Super Bowl day. Like, so, so what this doesn't mean, what this doesn't mean is that like, you know, it's not just like Taylor Swift's team is going to win the Super Bowl. Right? And because I spoke that out into the universe, especially I'm like gathered here, I'm standing in front of you. There's many people watching me. I speak that out into the universe. It's going to happen, right? That's what manifesting is. So that's, that's not a real thing. Okay, good. But, but it is. But it is, he says. But it is. Okay, so, so the solution is not positive vibes. It's, it's humble submission. James 4, 7 and 8. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Hey, there's the spiritual power again. The only time James has to talk about it is in relation to your tongue. And you know what he's saying? When your heart gives you the impulse to speak the thing, submit to God and resist the devil. And when, in fact, I want to tell you this. When you feel the impulse of your heart to speak the thing that is a curse, you speak out loud I am making a choice to resist the work of the enemy in this moment. And when he sees a Christian who is resisting him, he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and praise the Lord. He will draw near to you. Okay, number three. We need words that come from a different source. 
Right? That's, that's the tool that we have. Holy Spirit is the only one who can speak words that give life instead of bring death. Right, so, so I stand up here, I, I talk for like, uh, like 40 minutes or something like that, and that's, that's a lot of opportunity for, the, for something to happen with my words and cause damage, right? So you know what that means? If I'm going to stand up here and speak uh, for 40 minutes, I have to spend like seven days preparing to make sure that the things that I speak are only the things that Holy Spirit wants me to speak, right? But that's, I mean, y'all, that's highly controlled circumstances, I mean, besides your amens, like, you don't speak back to me <laughs> that much, right? Right? Like, there's not, a, there's not a dialogue happening here. There's not a conversation. But all of us have conversations on a daily basis where we're going to have to open our mouth. Right? We're going to have to speak something every day of the week. And so the point of this is, like, you don't get seven days to prepare for those conversations. Sometimes you don't even get five minutes to prepare for those conversations. So what does that mean ultimately? It means that we need to cultivate consistent, ongoing surrender to the Holy Spirit, submission to the Holy Spirit and once he wants, right? So that we might be the people who are quick to listen. And I want you to hear quick to listen. Yes, quick to listen to the person that we're talking to, but also quick to listen to the Holy Spirit. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I am grateful for the opportunity you have given us to be invited into self-examination and to recognize the gravity of our words. Right, the trap that the enemy is seeking to set for us. But Lord, we don't have to be given over to that trap. You give us your word so that we can be aware of these things, so that we can be vigilant. But Lord, we need more than just our vigilance. Holy Spirit, I confess this morning with my brothers and sisters that we need your renewing work. We need fresh water to be created inside the depths of our souls. We need rivers of living water to be flowing from out of us. And the only way that that happens is the renewing process that Holy Spirit takes us through. So Lord, we need you. We confess that need this morning. And we come to you asking you to do more of it here in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.